Stories connect us as humans. A well-told story can motivate and inspire us. Storytelling is the ultimate superpower. Be The Drop is a weekly podcast that investigates how to tell stories that engage. Join me, Amelia Veal, on our shared journey to become better storytellers. In episode 197 of Be The Drop, Louise Miller-Frost, CEO of St Vincent de Paul, South Australia, talks about starting her new role during the onset of COVID-19. We discuss the importance of more female representation in senior leadership, and she also explains the incredible importance of Vinnie's services, including the Women's Crisis Centre. This is Louise's version of Be The Drop. This year, I'll participate for the fifth time in the CEO Sleepout. If you'd like to help break the devastating cycle of homelessness, head to my fundraising page at ceosleepout.org.au and search for Amelia Veal. Every donation, big or small, will help make a difference. Louise, thank you so much for joining me in our next episode of Be The Drop. Thank you, Amelia. So we've got a few things to discuss and I'm really looking forward to getting to know you and your roles better. But I wanted to start by asking, you've just recently started as the CEO for St. Vincent de Paul in SA and you started during the time of COVID. That, (laughs) you know, starting a new role as a CEO and the first female CEO, which I do want to talk about separately, but during COVID-19, how was that for you? So I started at Vinnie's on the 10th of March and, uh, yes, straight into pandemic planning. Um, I had come from Catherine House and I had spent my last couple of weeks there ordering in uh, supplies, gloves, hand sanitizer, etc. thinking, wow, if this comes to nothing, this is going to be really embarrassing. They're all going to say, why do we have so many months' worth of hand sanitizer here? And then, of course, I went to Vinnie's and it all hit. So... It's just been an absolute whirlwind ever since. Um, Pandemic planning and business continuity for an organisation that you don't know and I don't know the people and I don't know the services and I'm just getting to know people and they don't know who I am um, has been, um, yeah, very, very interesting and certainly something that I'm sure I'll reflect on when we get to the other side of this. Yeah, and certainly starting any new role as a CEO is going to be a baptism of fire and really, you know, stress, test all the stress points, but to do that during a pandemic. And obviously, of course, because Vinnie's, obviously Vinnie's helps, you know, those in need are vulnerable within the community and homeless people. So the impact of the pandemic on them as well. So not only are you looking at the business continuity, but the, the increased impact on those that you serve. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the first things we had to work out were what were the absolute essential services we needed to keep going. And obviously the men's crisis shelter, the women's crisis shelter, uh, Fred's Vans, which provide uh, 10 different sites across the state, provide nightly meals to people. The emergency relief funding and food hampers and the like that the conferences provide across the state for Vinnie's, we decided actually were really important and people would need them more than ever. But we needed to work out how we would do that in a way that was safe uh, for the people who were delivering the services, the volunteers, the members, the staff, but also for the people who were coming in. So that was, again, very challenging. If you remember at the beginning of the pandemic, we couldn't get supplies. So we couldn't get hand sanitizer, we couldn't get gloves, we couldn't get all the masks, all the things that we needed. So we had to work out uh, how would we deliver these services in a way that was safe 
for the people coming and, and also kept our staff safe. So that was another big challenge. Unfortunately, we did have to close the stores. And while the stores are obviously a source of income for Vinnie's, they're also a source of service delivery. So a lot of people go into the stores and will have received vouchers and get clothes and household goods and the like for free. A lot of our rural stores, that's also where they get food hampers and assistance, uh, financial assistance. So closing the stores was actually a really big decision, but we just got to the stage where we, we couldn't guarantee that it was a safe thing to do, so we had to do it. Mm. But you're now opening up stores again. Yes. And so, you know, you're coming through that to a degree. Obviously, we've still got restrictions in place and, and some, you know, um, restrict, restricted access to services. But how are people responding to that and how, do, how did you feel that that process was navigated? Oh, people have been fantastic. So we opened our first store in Hawthorne, really not sure whether anyone would come and not 100% sure whether our volunteers were, were ready to come back either. The majority of the volunteers have come back. Uh, we recognise that some of them are in high-risk groups and, you know, we support them to make decisions that are best for themselves. But the majority of people have come back and they've said that they missed it. They missed being in the store, helping people, talking to people, just helping out. So it's been really rewarding. So we've got 18 shops open at the moment. So that's about half of our, our total shops. And uh, it's been fantastic. It's been really lovely. People have been so pleased to come back, both the, you know, op shopping and the staff and volunteers who who man the stores. Mm, and it's great that you were able to keep some of those services, as you say, focusing on essential services, because obviously those people in our society on the fringe who are most vulnerable when something like COVID-19 hits, a pandemic hits, their vulnerability levels increase. So, you know, it's really important. So we know that people who are homeless have a very high uh, physical illness rate, as well as uh, mental illness and often drug and alcohol issues, and all of those things together. So these were a very high vulnerability group for a pandemic. They're also people who might have difficulty finding places to wash their hands all the time and to keep those hygiene and the social distancing things because they're just not available to them living on the street or living in overcrowded housing or couch surfing. So it was really important to keep the, um, the, the shelters in particular open, but also the other supports that assist people to survive. And we were able to, you know, hand out blankets and, and other things through the Fed, Fred's van. So it, mm. it was a really important service to keep going. So you really did have to hit the ground running, so they say. But well, I also mentioned that you're South Australia's first female CEO in this role, and one of only a few that have been in the roles nationally across Australia, there hasn't been many females in your position. How important do you think that is to bring female representation into these, you know, senior executive level roles? I, I didn't actually know if I was the first in South Australia. I have to say, I'm always surprised that there are still firsts. It's really hard to believe in this day and age, there are still firsts. And yet I, I've been a first several times. Look, I think that women and men bring different things to organisations and it is important for both of those um, perspectives to be represented at the top. I am constantly surprised there aren't more in the not-for-profit sector and it's really hard to know how that is. Part of my background is in local government and the statistics there are are quite remarkable. At, at the officer level, it's 50-50, mostly women on the inside, so in the offices, and mostly men on the outside, being the um, 
the garden crew and the maintenance crew and that sort of thing. But then once you go up to a manager level, it drops off. And when you get to executive level, it's something like 25%. And then you get to executive. And I think when I was in local government, um, I think it's about 89 local governments in South Australia, and the best we'd ever done was 11 women as CEOs. And they were mostly in very small local government organisations or very remote. So it just made no sense that, you know, the women were entering, but somehow they weren't getting through to the other side. And it really wasn't a lack of women who were applying. Yeah, well, I, I, have, I am looking into the answer of that working on a documentary uh, program, Transcending the Gender Narrative, which is was rolling out. And mm. this week we happened to be talking about women on boards and mm. in senior executive because, of course, on, on ASX listed boards in Australia were still only around 17% yep. representation of women. And, and whilst that might be one part of the puzzle, I do think it filters down through to a whole bigger picture and, and, a, and one that Vinnie's is directly responding through the Women's Crisis Centre. Now, obviously, they're quite different sides of the coin. We're looking at women in leadership roles and then the need for women's protection for the Crisis Centre. Mm. But I do think it's all part of a big mm. gender imbalance that we need to address. And Vinnie's is doing that through the Crisis Centre. Can you tell us a little bit more about the Women's Crisis Centre? Sure. So the Women's Crisis Centre is um, quite unique in that it houses women and their children and their pets. Um, and often the pets is a reason that people will stay or the women will stay in dangerous situations. And the pets often are actually um, also victims in a DV situation. So the crisis shelter is uh, both for women fleeing domestic violence and homelessness. Obviously, those two things interact quite quite significantly. And women can come in. It's a warm, inviting place to stay. Um, they're provided with meals. They're usually case managed through a referral agency and they can stay with us for up to three months, uh, usually a lot shorter than that until we've actually found a housing outcome for them. So it's really important for women to be able to find uh, not only a roof under, over their heads so that they can just take time, consider where they are, think about what they need and how they're going to move on, but also get those support services because uh, often women, when they get to this situation, have never been here before and don't know what's out there. They don't know how to find help. They don't know what services might be there or how to access them. And they actually do need somebody who can come along and say, well, you know, I'm your case manager and let's talk about what you need and how we can put those in place and then you can recover and move on with your life. And that's ultimately our aim is that people recover and move on with their life. Mm. And, you know, the, these women and children and their pets, as you yes. say, are going through trauma mm. and to be able to think straight, I mean, whether or not we can relate to domestic violence or, or these sorts of scenarios, we can relate to trauma. You know, we've been through a period of trauma and you know that you can't think straight. Yes. It's very hard to, to rationally analyse or even know what your options are. It's very overwhelming. And then if you add into this that you're, fear, you, you're afraid for your own safety but that of your children and your pets, Yep. that's a, a lot of layers of trauma so to have this facility available which is you know as you say it's warm and approachable I've been to the centre mm -hmm. and seen it and it is it's a beautiful setting and it's really thoughtfully laid out you know offers privacy but also if they need to interaction you know I think that's so incredibly important yeah and I think that's really important that people actually get to realise it's not just them. So they're, you know, it's a congregate living. There's a number of, of women there any time. 
And they actually realised, wow, it, it wasn't just me. All those years I thought it was just me, but here's some other women. It happened to them as well. Um, and I think that's also part of that healing process. So they go through a period of shock um, in terms of, you know, I can't believe this has happened to me. Um, and then we need to help them move out the other side. And, and actually understanding that while they're not the only ones, it's not actually about them. You know, this is, they're not to blame for what's happened um, and helping them move and put those pieces in place is really important. Mm. And for me, so this year it will be my fifth year of participating in the CEO Sleep Out. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, it's, it's always a cold night. It's my first. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and this year will be different because obviously due to COVID restrictions, there can't be that big uh, group event where the CEOs are, are together sleeping out. So we're doing it individually, sleeping in cars or couches. Yep. So, you know, as you said, this is the sorts of environments that, that families or individuals might find themselves in. You know, that concept to me of being a mum and, you know, not not being able to have a roof over my kids' heads and, you know, sleeping in cars, is, mm. you know, that really is a big motivating factor for me in the funds that I raise and, and doing the activities to raise the funds, you know, because these sorts of facilities are expensive and there's obviously the men's yep. shelter as well, which you mentioned before, and Fred's van. You know, what role does the CEO Sleep Out fundraising play in helping Vinnie's provide these services? So Vinnie's is largely self-funded through the op shops and through fundraising. So the CO Sleep Out is really very important to us as a fundraiser. It's also really important for us to be able to talk to a range of CEOs from different industries and actually explain to them how homelessness happens and how it does actually affect everyone. And, you know, one of the things we always say is, you know, homelessness can happen to anyone. And everyone says, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, but not me. Uh, but actually it does. You know, it is surprising that people who think their lives are very secure, um, financially okay, well supported, can actually find themselves suddenly homeless. And that can be things like, you know, a work injury, a car crash, and anything, a, a job redundancy, anything that was suddenly interrupts your ability to, to continue to have that income coming in, uh, to continue to work or continue to function generally in the community, can actually cause people to tip into homelessness, maybe not this week, but maybe in, in six months or a year's time. And, you know, I've seen some terribly sad stories of people who were, you know, happily functioning in, in the community, um, had lived in the same property for a number of years, renting, had good careers, well paid, and then, you know, they had a, a car accident or an injury is the, is the common one, or an illness, a, a cancer diagnosis or something like that. And these sorts of things can happen to anyone and they do happen to anyone and they do substantially interrupt our ability to keep our lives on an even keel. And and then we see them in, in the homelessness shelters, which is incredibly sad. Mm, yeah, and certainly in previous participations in this event, there has been a lot of sharing of the stories and, you know, people from the, from the different chapters will talk or different personal experiences are shared. And it is really an, an eye-opening educational process, but also that real humanising connection sort mm. of process that, as you say, this could, could happen to anyone and strips away any layers of judgement or, you know, th that sort of thing that might come with a, or a potential stigma that might come with somebody 
maybe feeling like they don't want to say, well, I'm actually homeless, feeling yeah. a sense of shame or something. And and their bravery in sharing those stories mm. is always really, you know, incredible to me, you know, and really empowering, I think, mm. to see that they've been through these experiences, come out the other side with help of, of organisations like Vinnie's and can then, you know, help get their life back on track. So, and I think if we can help that, you know, and give people that opportunity to experience the, the rough stuff and maybe fall down and, and potentially in a really big way, but then be helped to get a hand up and, and really keep moving forward. Yeah. Look, you know, only 7% of those people who are homeless are actually rough sleepers. So the majority of the homeless population are completely hidden. They're out of sight. They're couch surfing with friends. They're sleeping in cars. That's a very common story, particularly for women who are, tend, are less likely to be on the streets for reasons of safety. And there's a lot of shame associated with being homeless. And people don't like to, to be seen that way. It makes them vulnerable. Very difficult to get a property or to get a job or anything if you look like you're homeless. So people hide. You know, understandably people hide. And I think we need to really understand that there is a significantly larger group of homeless people than you would think walking around the streets. And, you know, we have potential with when JobKeeper and JobSeeker um, drop back to their normal amount or JobKeeper ends and we have the end of the moratorium on evictions, we have potential for a much larger homeless population and it's really important that we actually step up and address that and provide the safety nets for people in our community. You know, it could be you or me, it could be our, our relatives, our children, our parents... We actually need to have that safety net there for people all the time, but particularly going forward when we expect the numbers to actually go up. And if we can do that bit to help them, you know, yeah. uh, while we can, as you said, it could happen to anyone, but if we're in a position to help, and every dollar can help, you know. Absolutely. And I'll just go back to it's about recovery. It's not about keeping people in shelters or, you know, maintaining that. We actually want people to come through, get the services they need, come out the other side and move on with their lives and recover. Well, thank you so much, Louise. If you wanted to conclude with a summary, you know, is there a saying or summary that you would say, you know, has maybe summed up your time so far with Vinnie's or what you hope to achieve with your time with Vinnie's? Is there something you could say in summary for that? Well, it's not very succinct, but let me tell you that one of the things I was really impressed with when I started looking into the Vinnie's role was that it's a 3,000-plus workforce across the state, mostly volunteers, so, you know, probably about 90% is volunteer. They're in local communities across the state uh, working with people without applause or notoriety or, you know... It's a really grassroots organisation that gets in and helps people where it counts. The other thing I found really important is that the assistance that they provide through the Fred's vans and through the financial support and food hampers and the like really gets to that prevention side of things. And in public health, we always say $1 prevention can save $9 of cost down the stream. So $1 prevention to help somebody stay in their home, to feed their family, to, to move on with their lives before the crisis hits makes such a difference. And that's what Vinnie's does. That's what the, the volunteer um, workforce does. They actually provide that prevention at the grassroots across the state. Well, fantastic. Well, good luck with the future roles. Thank you. And with the sleep out on Thursday. Yes, thank you. Uh, <laughs> and if anyone wants to donate or learn more about Vinnie's, 
I will include links in the show notes. Terrific. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be The Drop. Don't forget to subscribe in order to ensure you never miss out on one of our weekly episodes. Be The Drop is produced by Narrative Marketing, where we believe that stories connect individuals and that powerful storytelling can positively impact the world. To unleash your storytelling superpower, visit narrativemarketing.com.au or check out our social links in the show notes. To contact me directly with any specific comments you have, you can email me via amelia at narrativemarketing.com.au. And don't forget that whilst a task or challenge may seem overwhelming, a waterfall begins with one drop and look what comes from that. This is a Narrative Network podcast.